Thanks, Eliza. Uh, good afternoon again. Good to see you guys. As Eliza mentioned, next Sunday we're going to start a new sermon series. Uh, we're going to be going through talking about the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? What is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And so we're going to spend some time kind of delving in deep about the, the third person of the Trinity, about the Holy Spirit. Uh, but today we're going to finish out our series on the book of Philippians. And uh, I, I love this series. I, I love the book of Philippians. And a lot of my favorite verses are contained in this, in this book of the Bible. And so I've really enjoyed this time. But today we're going to look at the final uh, closing verses where Paul uh, addresses the church. So we're going to look at verses 10 through 23. Uh, so let's start in verse 10. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Verse 11, not that I have speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. It says, I know what it is to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity in, every, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, let's stop right there. Okay, so this passage, um, in this verse in particular, verse 13, says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, is one that, you know, it's often quoted and we, you know, talk about a lot. And in fact, I see it all over the place. And, you know, one place I see it, I see it with, like, athletes, you see, like, athletes talk about, I can do all things who strengthens me. So if, you, uh, if you're familiar with this guy, Evander Holderfield, okay, so he's a boxer. Uh, he's famous for having Philippians 4.13 on everything. So here you see it on his robe. Here, here's, like, two different boxing trunks. He has Philippians 4.13, like, everywhere. Uh, he talks about Philippians 4.13, right? And what is Philippians 4.13? It says... I can do all things through him who strengthens me, okay? But it's interesting because when you look at this verse and when you look at the context of this verse, it actually doesn't talk about the things that they're talking about. So a lot of times it's very taken out of context and misquoted. So in Evander Holyfield's case, he says, like, when I go into the boxing ring, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can beat my opponent. I can, like, uh, win this win this match, right? And he says, he quotes his verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, is there some truth in that? Is there some truth in, in him believing that he can do all things through Christ? I think there is. But when we look at this passage, and let's go, let's go back and look at the, the context of this passage. When we look at the context of verse 13, which you always need to do, right? And this is where we go off of the rails sometimes when we look at different verses. We take a verse out of the context and we make it mean whatever we think it applies in our life and whatever we think it should mean. But we always have to let the context determine the meaning. Okay, And that's the case here. What does Paul say in the context of verse 13? It's Verse 12 says, I know how to get along with humble means. I, I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret. So he's saying this is a secret of being both filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Then he says, I can do all things through strength who strengthens me. So what is the all things that Paul is talking about in verse 13 when he says, I can do all things? What is the all things? It's 
every financial situation. Did you realize that? Did you realize that verse 13 is talking about money? Verse 13, that we often quote and talk about this, is talking about money. It's talking about being content in every financial situation. He said, whether well-fed or whether hungry, whether I have an abundance or I have a lack, I've learned the secret of being content in any situation, any financial situation. Here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is Paul's big secret. This is the secret that God has taught him how to be content regardless of whatever financial situation he's in. He realizes this truth in verse 13. It's not my money that gives me strength to live each day. It's not my finances that's going to determine how I live. It's not my finances, like Eliza had mentioned in uh, verse 4, that gives me joy. It's not my finances that protects me from being anxious. It's not my finances that's going to determine if I'm going to be joyful or not. It's not my finances that's going to determine whether I'm going to live or I'm going to die. Philippians 1.21 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's not about what we have in our bank account. That's not going to determine our life. That's not going to determine our future. It's not going to determine whether we're flourishing or not. It's not going to determine whether we're thriving or not. It's not going to determine if we have peace that goes beyond understanding. It's not going to determine whether we're going to do well in this life or not. And that's hard for us to keep believing that truth. It's hard because in the U.S., that's the message. You need to make money. You need to make money so you can have financial independence. They talk about financial independence a lot. You need to be financially free, which means what? You need to have enough money in your savings, in your IRA, in all of these different things so you can retire and have no worries. Is that really true? Is that what we really believe? It's hard not to let that affect us. It's hard not to let that kind of determine our, our perspective and how we're living and how we're spending our time and what is going on in our brain. What are we focused on? What are we thinking about all the time? In verse 8, or in verse eight where it talked about, you know, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. But so often it's concerns about money. It's concerns about our job. It's concerns about doing better. It's about getting better uh, a promotion or doing better in our business, improving the bottom line or, or investing in this or doing that or worrying about different things about money and all the concerns that we have, whether it's our, our mortgage or our debt or our rent or things that are going on in our lives. You know, when we look at all of these things, it can re speak really loudly to us. And it's hard not to let those things consume us and those things to take a place that God never intended. Paul says, I have learned a secret. And really, is it a secret? I was thinking about that when he says, I have a secret. That sounds like something like you never even thought of before, right? When he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that really a secret? Is that like some secret knowledge? And I was thinking about that. It's not really the the content of what he's saying, it's the application. It's the application. He said, that is a secret. And the secret is, 
if you can really apply this, then you can really be content no matter what. That's the secret. The secret is when you start applying this truth, when you start applying verse 13 and saying that it's not, it's not my money, it's not food, it's not any of these things that keeps me alive or keeps me going or keeps me thriving, it's Jesus Christ. If you, if you apply that, then you're going to learn the secret, which is, wow, I'm good. I'm good no matter what. I'm good whether things are going really well. I'm going good when things are going really bad. I can rejoice at all times, right? This is the way that Paul is, is really exhorting us to be able to do this. He's giving us the secret. This is how to do it. We have to realize that Jesus is the one who sustains us, not our money. Jesus is the one who holds our future in our hands, not our money. Jesus is the one who's going to determine how, our, how well we do in life and how we're going to thrive or not thrive. Not our money. It's interesting because um, I've noticed churches either talk nothing about money or talk about money all the time, right? I don't see a lot in between, right? It's either they never talk about money. You know, in my previous church, that was us. We never talked about money. And really, we did that because the church has this reputation of being about money and trying to get your money, and that's all they're concerned about. And so we actually did the total opposite. We never talked about money, you know? And for years and years and years and years, we never talked about money. It's funny, like, I was just sharing with Janet this week, like, the only talk, time we talked about money was during the offering time. And you know what we said? If you're a visitor, please don't give. That was our only time we talked about money. Don't give, right? That was our only message. But along the way, I started realizing, because I was in charge of, like, the church's finances, I, along the way, I started realizing this is not good. This is not good that we don't talk about money. Money is a big part of our life, right? And in fact, when you look at Jesus' ministry and you look at the things he talked about, do you know he talked about money more than heaven and hell? I'm not saying money is more important than heaven and hell, but I'm saying Jesus addressed money more than he mentions heaven or hell. It's important. Look at this passage that, that talks about that uh, in Matthew 19 where Jesus talks about money. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so he's talking about money here. He's talking about how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? It's easier for a camel to go through. You know how small an eye of the needle is? Right? Especially as I'm getting older. I can't even see it. Right? I can't even see to put the thread there. Right? That's how small it is. The eye of the, a camel to go through that little opening. It's easier for a camel to go through that than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Look at the disciples' reaction. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at, at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Okay, so again, this might be another verse that you've heard before, right? With people, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. What's the context of this verse? It's also talking about money, right? It's also talking about money. It's talking about money in our relationship with the kingdom and about with our relationship with God. This is about money. 
And what does he say? It's hard when you have money to enter in the kingdom of God. Why? Why does, make, why does being rich make it difficult to you, for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven? goes back to what Paul is talking about in, verse four, in chapter 4. Because when you have a lot, it's easy to depend on it. It can bail you out. It can solve problems. And isn't that what people say? Money can solve all your problems. Money can solve these difficulties that are going on. But we realize that's not true. We realize that's not true. You realize that because you see people who have a lot of money but have no peace. You see people who have a great amount of wealth but have no relationship with God, no peace, no fulfillment. They're not thriving. They're just continuing to strive and they're continuing to try to make it through. I think them more than anyone will really tell you, hey, you think this is going to solve it? It doesn't. Let me tell you, because I have it, and it doesn't. I think they are ones that could have the strongest testimony, right, to realize that's not the answer. That's not the answer. You know, it's interesting. I, um, I saw this one kind of, like, uh, study, research study they did on lottery winners. Okay, so, you know, like Powerball and those things that they've won, like millions and millions, like hundred $100 million, $150 million. And we kind of say that jokingly sometimes, like, well, if I would just win the lottery, then I would dot, 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 right? We kind of joke and talk about like that, like the lottery, right? But it was interesting what the study showed was that the study showed that the vast majority of lottery winners said, I was more happy before I won the lottery. And that might sound surprising, like, you were more happy than you won $150 million? And they go on to say, because my life started turning upside down. It all started revolving around money. Everything was about money. All my conversations with everybody were about money. They all wanted to talk about my lottery winnings. They all wanted a piece of my lottery winnings. They all wanted me to help them. I had friends that I never, never talked to in like 25 years call me up and try to get me to give them some money. And then when I say no, they're so angry. They're so upset with me. They're so upset that I don't give it all away to all my family, that I don't buy them all houses and cars, and they lost all of their friends, and dis, all of their relationships are fractured because of money. And the majority made this comment. It says, I wish I'd never won that. I was more happy before I had the lottery than after. It's telling, isn't it? The ones that have what we wish we had their, their testimony is the strongest, saying, this is not it. This is not it. Let me tell you, because I have it. <laughs> this is not it. If you're going to place your hope in that, if you're going to place your desire in that, if you're going to put your life on hold for that, you're putting it for something that's empty. Paul says, I found the secret of being content no matter what my financial situation I can do all things in all those circumstances because of Christ who strengthens me, not because of any material thing that I have. If we can learn the secret, and the secret is not the knowledge because we kind of know the knowledge, it's applying it. Can we really apply that? Can we really live that? Can we really say that every day? Can we say that every time we get our paycheck? Can we say that when we write our offering check? Can we 
do that when we put our Venmo in there? Can we say those type of things as a declaration to the Lord that money doesn't determine my life? Money doesn't determine my future. Only God does. Only God does. So Paul continues, and then he talks about more money, right? He says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, talking to the church, that at, first, at, that at the uh, first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Okay, so again, he's continuing on with the theme about money. And then he's affirming the Philippian church. He's saying, I want to commend you because when I started doing my ministry, when I started going out there, when I started preaching, you were the only church to give me money, financial means. And he's sharing with them and commending them, saying, I want to thank you. And in the beginning of the section, he's saying, I'm actually rejoicing. And it's interesting because I keep pointing this back, but it's, you want to keep remembering, he's in prison, right? He's in jail. But what is he doing while he's in jail? He's thinking back about the Philippian church and how much they loved him and how much they blessed him and how much they gave to him. Now, it's interesting because uh, I share with you guys in the past that, you know, I left my previous church to join this organization called Standing Stone. Okay, and this ministry of Standing Stone ministers to other pastors. And so I meet with other pastors and seminary students and walk together with them and encourage them and pray for them and, um, you know, give basically anything that I can to offer to, to minister to them. But one of the things that I was kind of dreading going into that situation, um, and that God had to do a lot of work in me, is that as a Standing Stone person, you're like a missionary, right? Because you don't get a salary. You have to raise support. So you have to raise financial support, right? So before, when I was a pastor at the church, you know, not that I made a lot of money, but at least it was consistent, right? Like, I could just depend on it all the time, right? But as soon as I made that switch to leave that position, being a full-time pastor, and then going to Standing Stone, God started addressing my heart, saying, like, oh, man, how am I going to feel like this, like, with no salary, right? How am I going to feel like this when I have to raise my own support? Basically, if you don't raise anything, then you don't get anything, right? And so thinking about that, thinking like, and this is really, this is really hard. It kind of like hindered me from really making the step to really go into Standing Stone full time, right? And I thought, I don't want to fundraise. I don't want to go and ask people for money. It's interesting because like uh, we support several missionaries, my, my family does, personally. And so I was uh, emailing back and forth to this one family uh, that's a missionary family in Thailand. Okay, and uh, I've known them for a really long time, for like maybe like 10, 10 years or so. And so I was like emailing the, the wife and saying like just how much I appreciate them and all the stuff they do. And, you know, they rescue kids out of like human trafficking. And I just, they're amazing, right? They're an amazing couple and the things that they do. I just admire them so, so, so much. But I was, I was telling them, my admiration for you just went up another notch once I started fundraising. Like, this is not easy, right? I was telling them, right? And, you know, when I get their newsletter and then they just talk about, you know, needing and raising funds. And, and so, you know, a little while back, we raised our support from what we did before. We doubled it. We gave them twice as much. And 
um, I just really fell for them, you know? And it was during this time where God started really addressing me and saying, where's your security and where's your hope? Are you so anxious about taking the step because there's nothing guaranteed? That you don't know what the future is going to be? You don't know how your fundraising is going to go? You don't know if people are going to say yes or people are going to say no? You don't know about the future and what's going to happen in your terms of your family and your life and your living with your kids and your wife and the things that you have in your house? Are you so anxious because you don't know? It's not certain for you? And God was addressing my heart and saying, where is my hope? Where is my security? Where is my uh, hope or vision for the future? Is it in money or is it in the Lord? And it was hard. You know, it sounds, sounds like a rhetorical question, but it's not. It's not a rhetorical question, right? I had to wrestle. Where is my hope? And so it's been a good process going through that. And God's been faithful. You know, God's been faithful throughout this process. And he's supplied more than abundantly during this time. And even being a part of this church, like being supported and all of these different things. So I, I really feel blessed in that way. But I wanted to do that before all that happened, not after all that happened. And I'm grateful that he had me address that. Because I want to learn the secret too, like Paul did of being fully content and at peace no matter what. No matter what happens in my job, no matter what happens in my career, no matter, no matter what happens to my finances, no matter what happens if an emergency comes up and drains everything, no matter if I'm on unemployment, no matter if I have to move out of my house, if I have to sell everything, no matter what my situation, that I can be content. And can I tell you, if you really can truly do that, that you really are free? They talk about financial independence and financial freedom. That's real financial freedom when it doesn't matter. When it doesn't matter how much you make, that you can be joyful at all times, no matter what your financial condition so he goes on and he praises the church because the church is going out and supporting him. He goes on and says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So what he was saying is, I am so grateful, but what is he grateful about? What is he rejoicing about? Is he rejoicing about the financial gift that he got from them? He said, no, I'm not rejoicing about that. What is he rejoicing about? He's rejoicing because of all of the blessings they're receiving because of their giving. Look at what he says. He says, I, not that I seek the gift. But I seek for the profit which increases to your account, the account of the church, saying, this is to your profit. When you give, it's to your profit. It's not a loss. Right? And that's opposite of the world thinking. Like, you give your money away, give your money away. That's in the loss column. But in God's kingdom, that's in the profit column. It's to your profit. Paul recognizes that truth, and that's the source of his joy. 
That's why he's so happy. That's why he's rejoicing at this time. That's why he's so thankful for the church. Not because necessarily of his money, although he appreciates that gift and is thankful for it, but he's so thankful because their account is increasing more and more and more. Where these other churches that didn't give, they aren't experiencing that blessing. They're not experiencing that increase in their account. They're not experiencing those things. They're forfeiting the profit that God has for them. And I think that happens to other churches. That happens to us as individuals when we don't give. We forfeit the profit that God has for us. It's not a loss. It's a profit, right? And to experience the profit and the joy from that. He closes out. He says, you know, I am amply supplied, you know, because he said, I can live with whatever, you know, whether a lot or whether a little but that their gift is like a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrificing, well-pleasing to God. And I love that image. It's like when we give, it's like an aroma that goes up to the Lord, and then he breathes it in and says, wow, that really blesses me. That really blesses me. I'm so pleased with this fragrant aroma that's coming up from your giving. And the Lord is well pleased with that. He goes on and closes and says, And may my God supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to the God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And this is how he closes, right? He closes by saying, when you apply verse 13, when you really let go and want to let go of the hold that, that money has on our life, that you can really be free to experience God's abundant riches. He says, I pray that God would supply out of his abundant riches. How many know that God has way more than you do? How many know that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills? How many knows? And I'm not just talking about financially, although it could be financially, the way that he would supply for you and that he would bless you. But I believe it's more than that. He has abundant riches for you to fill up your barns, to fill up your storehouses, to fill up your cup. If we could apply verse 13. I can do all things in every financial situation because of Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. So, Father, we want to just recognize you right now. We want to recognize your goodness. You are a good, good God. You meet all of our needs whether we think it's coming from you or recognize that or we don't recognize it's coming from you, we think it's coming from our own work, our own hard effort, our own trying and our discipline, our own strategy. If we think it's coming from us, then we're missing the blessing that it's really coming from you. And so, Father, we just want to recognize you right now. You are a good father. You love your children. You will always take care of your children, regardless of what's happening on the outside, regardless of what's happening in our finances. You are a good father who takes care of his children. You are a beloved son and daughter of God. 
who can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have that abundance in you. In Jesus' name, amen.